Welcome to Call to War video briefing number 13. I'm Bishop Chester M. Wright from Annapolis, Maryland. And I'd like to talk to you for a little while today, if it's possible. Please join me in prayer before we begin. Father, we come before you today. You are our God. You are our Father. We are your children. You are the potter. We are the clay. You have purchased us with your own blood. We are yours. By right of creation and by right of redemption, we belong to you. We are not our own. We're bought with a price. I pray today, Father, that you would speak to us and through us, that you would make us conduits for your kingdom, that we might participate with you in obedience to your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. <clears throat> this is the last video briefing before we begin Call to War, the Round the World a uh, week of spiritual warfare, uh, the prayer chain by time zone, uh, starting Monday night in your time zone. And uh, this briefing today is going to be a little bit different than the last several. Uh, I'm going to be bold enough to say to you that I have a word from God for those who will receive it and hear it. Uh, I'd like to begin reading, if you would with Psalms chapter 8, beginning with verse number 1, or the 8th Psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set the, thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still be the enemy, that thou mightest still the enemy, and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, then the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? What a question. What a question. The psalmist David said, when I look at the heavens and the moon and the stars, and I look at all of that, and know that that's only that's just the work of your fingers uh that you ordained all of this you brought all this about you brought all this into existence and here we are as mere man walking upon the face of this one planet in all of your universe what is it that would cause you to be so mindful of us I like that word, that it, mindful or full, filling the mind. So David said, why, why would man fill your mind? Well, even more so, why would you, the I am God, the creator of the universe and all that it contains, why would you visit man? But David didn't stop there. Verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And listen to this. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I look at the heavens, I look at the moon and the stars, and I, I ask the question, what is man that you even that we're even in your mind. And the next step is, and what is man that you would deign 
to visit us. Oh, wait, you didn't stop there. You didn't just have us in your mind. We didn't just enter your mind as some random thought. And you haven't just visited us, but you have made us lower than the angels, all right, but you've crowned us man with glory and honor and made him have dominion over the works of thy hands. That's past tense. Thou madest, not will make, madest. It's a done deal. It's an accomplished fact. Thou madest him to have, past tense, dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things, hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What an amazing, almost incomprehensible thought this is. You can't even begin to comprehend it or truly accept it without revelation. So it's not just a revelation that's important to receive to know who God is. But there's a revelation to receive to know who we are in God. What is it that would cause the I Am, who became Logos and created the universe... To even have man in his mind, or to visit man, or to crown man with glory and honor, and make him, give him dominion, and put him over all, put all things under his feet. That's an amazing consideration. It's actually prophecy that we'll look at in here in just a few moments, but as a bridge uh, between these verses and the New Testament quote of these verses, listen to what Scripture says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, with Christ, quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together with Christ, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Brother Wright, my life is a mess. I'm going through this, that, and the other. I'm not sitting in heavenly places. Well... That may be true about your life. But what is it true about your, what is the situation with your spiritual life? Where are you supposed to be in your spiritual life? We know that Jesus said in John 16, 33, the last part of his teaching to the disciples before he prayed for them in John 17, went out and prayed in Garden of Gethsemane, was taken, and then crucified within 24 hours of the statement. So the very last words of Jesus spoken in instruction and direction to his disciples are, John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So 
The scripture divides our natural circumstances from our spiritual condition. Now, we frequently do not do that. We frequently allow our natural circumstances to become the focus of our lives, which severely handicaps, limits, hinders our spiritual existence. But Jesus said, trouble's coming. It's a part of this life. I designed it into this life to keep you reminded this is not my plan. This is only temporary. This is only a place where I'm working in your life and preparing you for what's to come. I want you to trust me with all of this. Actually, be of good cheer in the midst of your trouble because I've overcome the world. I've left my peace, if you want to take that peace and let let me give you that peace in your life over your circumstances because only by having his peace in my circumstances can I put all of that aside and say, Lord, all of this is your problem. Now, let me be a part of what you're doing in the earth. Now, so many believers can't do that. They don't do that. They can't, it's not that they can't do it because God's not willing to help them. They're not willing to let that go. They want all of this to be so, just so and perfect so that they can then be focus on the spiritual. But it's my experience after 48 years in the ministry, that's just not the way it is with people. It doesn't matter how perfect this gets. That doesn't affect this over here. If I can't trust God with here and now, whether it's a good day or a bad day, I'm not going to be able to be a part of what he's doing spiritually. The early church, where it was, at, they were in a very difficult environment. It was a very difficult environment. A lot more difficult than it is for most Christians in most places in the world right now. And yet they had, they learned how to, uh, to, to put this stuff aside and be, and have peace because they sought peace. They cast their cares. They gave all that to the Lord so that they could focus on being a part of what his plan was in the earth. Those who can never give the cares of this life to the Father. And those who can never trust the Father with the cares of this life are never truly going to be a fruitful part of God's plan in the earth. Never. So, but here we are. So the Lord, the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, uh, we have been resurrected together with Christ quickened from our sins, resurrected up together with Christ, and in Christ we've been made to sit together in heavenly places. There's not one past tense verb, or not one future tense verb in all of those verses. Not one. This isn't talking about the future. It's talking about right here and right now. In other words, because most of us can't get past the here and now, we live so far beneath our spiritual privileges, it is, it's sad. We are about to enter into a God-directed endeavor. God-directed, and I believe God-empowered endeavor if we will allow Him to, to actually empower us by His grace to do this. We're going to participate in a round-the-world 24 hour a day prayer chain by time zone. And it's not a, I, I was born in, my mother was attending a, a Pentecostal church when I was born, United Pentecostal church when I was born. I know what the phrase 
in Pentecost means, and I don't know about other churches and types of churches, but in Pentecost, I know what a prayer meeting is. We get together and we pray. There's very little focus, rarely ever any direction given, and we pray. And we pray because we're supposed to pray. And we come together to pray. And the book says, if any two of you agree as touching anything on earth, you have it in my Father which is in heaven. But rarely in our prayer meetings do we ever have something we agree on. We just come together and pray. And somehow we think that's effective because that's what our, we've been doing in our culture all of my life. Just a good old Pentecostal prayer meeting. Let me emphatically state, not one of these seven sessions of this week of warfare will be a typical prayer meeting. It's not going to be a prayer meeting. It's warfare. It's warfare. And the various aspects of warfare. Some of it will be preparation. Some of it will be praying covering. Some of it will be praying uh, uh, the, the the elements of, uh, of the kingdom prayer from uh, Matthew chapter uh 6 verses 9 through 13, Luke 11 verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Uh, some of it will be that. Some of it we will be praying. The elements of the prayer the Lord specifically directed us to pray in Joel chapter 2. But we will be praying. There will be other times as the Lord leads that someone will, will give a direction for us to pray a, about a certain thing or a certain area, a certain whatever. But, but it will not be a typical just a good old, let's get together and have a prayer meeting. It is warfare. Warfare with a purpose. Warfare for victory. Warfare for outpouring. Warfare for the captives being set free and souls being saved. And, and victory in our churches and resources available for the kingdom of God to, so that we can preach the gospel to every creature. Purpose. Specific purposes. Now, the problem is to participate with that, I have got to be able to trust God with my here and now. So when Paul said, we've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you're anchored by your cares, you're never going to believe that. But if you have peace and you've trusted God with those cares, then you can be opened by the grace of God to participate with him in his kingdom. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is awesome stuff. Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein, wherein is grace, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. What awesome words this is. In other words, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Oh, wait. He didn't just suddenly become mindful of us going, oh, look at that little planet down there in my universe. Uh, angel, what, what, what's that called? Earth? Earth, Earth. That sounds, that's a good name. Who named that? And so, and then what are those little things moving around? Oh, that's man. Man? How did they get there? Well, you, you create, really? Really? 
Let's go check them out. Really? No. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, we were in his mind before the foundation of the world. The church was created in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And that doesn't mean, that's not talking about us being individually being chosen so that we could, uh, you know, we're, we're, we could live any way we want to live and we're saved because we're already chosen. That's not what that's talking about. But he's chosen the church and those who have responded to his word in faith and obeyed the gospel, born of water and the spirit, they're a part of what's been chosen before the foundation of the world. And by the grace of God, we've been made accepted in the beloved. But, but listen to that first verse that I read. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us, hath, past tense, has blessed us already with all spiritual blessings in heaven and places in Christ. Already? With all spiritual blessings. Well, you know, things are tight. I don't know if I can pay my rent. Well, your father already knows what you have need of there. So that's not even the issue. The spiritual blessings here are all those things he's already made available for us as his body to use in the earth to fulfill what David said in Psalms 8. And that is, uh, thou, thou madest him lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Everything we need in the spirit. Paul said our our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. All the spiritual weapons and authority and power that we need to fulfill what God chose man to do is available to us now because we're in Christ Jesus. As many as have been baptized, Galatians 3.27, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're baptized into Christ. So we're in Christ. So in Christ, God has already supplied everything. Well, we don't have it. That's because we haven't believed to receive it. Luke 10.19, Behold, I give you authority. King James word is power. The Greek word is authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. It's given. Are we taking it? Are we using it? Are we taking it? Are we using it? We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Paul continued later in Ephesians 1. And if you've uh, watched the previous uh, briefings, you've heard this these verses once or twice. Ephesians chapter 1, 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That, I'm praying for you to receive this. That, for this cause, for this purpose, on this account, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that that ye might know three things. First of all, what is the hope of his calling? What is the certainty of our calling in him to be a part of him forever? And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know what he's getting out of this. Why did he create us? The Bible says he's created all things and all things were created for his pleasure. The last verse of Revelation 4 says that. All things were created for his pleasure. So what is he getting out of this? Why did the I am do all of this and what he's getting out of this? The Lord, Paul was praying that we'd have the, we'd receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of understanding would be enlightened and we would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? We, not you, me, not me, we. I don't know any human being on earth that even remotely comes close to comprehending the amount of power that God makes available to those who will walk in His will, in His name, as a part of Him, being crucified with Christ, allowed Him to make them as conduits, and they do it all for his glory. <coughs> I can't, I, 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 it can't be described. It can't be defined. But it's available to us. How do I know that? Let's keep reading. What is the exceeding greatness of his, this is verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. One translation of the word set there means to impart to or give a kingdom to. He set him in his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Did you, did you hear that? We, we're focused on what's going to happen in the, in the great beyond. But, but Paul said, by revelation, praying that we would receive the revelation, that, that the, the place that Christ is at now, sitting on the throne of the universe, ruling over the universe, he is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. Not only in this world, but it, but also in that which is to come. And I frequently in ministering from these verses have switched that around just to make the point not only in the world to come but in this present world and listen to what he says our place in him is in this present world with this exceeding greatness of power that he has given us word who believe and hath put all things under his feet whoa wait 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 that kind of sounds like Psalms 8, doesn't it? 
and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Well, at the risk of being in seeming like I'm insulting you, in the human body, where are the feet? They're on the body. They're not on the head. So the head doesn't have feet except as he has a body. And what is his body? Who is his body? The church is his body. The church is his body. The church is his body. The church is the only feet he has. Our head is in heaven. His body is on earth. And the only way he's going to work on earth by his decision is through his own body. Through the hands of his body, the mouth of his body, the feet of his body, the heart of his body, the bowels of compassion of his body. That's how he's going to work on the earth. And we're sitting back waiting for God to do great things. And God is waiting on us to let him do great things through us. Well, why doesn't he just do it? <laughs> why? What's one of the main things they tell you after a storm comes through? And power lines are down? Be careful step, stepping in puddles. Because there might accidentally be a power line running through that puddle. And what looks like an innocent puddle could kill you. Because power that's not insulated properly is fatal. That which does so much good for us can kill you in an instant. And we want God to do all this stuff for us. <laughs> but how many of us are really, really ready to be able to handle that? And still be saved. How many of us. How many of us today. Could God give 10 million dollars to. And we'd be just as saved. Tomorrow. A week. A month. A year. 10 years from now. As we are today. How many of us could receive that kind of blessing. And our faithfulness to God. And our and our faith in God. And our commitment to God. Not, not only. Excuse the double negative. Not only not waver at all but actually be increased. How many of us are there? You say, well, that's not going to happen. Wait a minute. You're saying you can't handle, you couldn't handle a blessing of $10 million without it negatively affecting your lifestyle, and you want God to use the power, His unlimited power, through you, and you think that's not going to negatively affect you. See, that's the point here. That's why the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are, who are called according to his purpose. Why? Well, how can this bad stuff be working for my good? Because that bad stuff is bringing you to the end of yourself so that you can be saved. That's why that bad stuff is good for you. But, you know, we want the Lord to make this heaven on earth. Well, if he made it heaven on earth naturally, it's going to be a garbage dump spiritually. Because heaven on earth naturally is not going to prepare this old willful flesh to be able to be used of God and still give God all the glory and not take any credit for myself. So, what's important here? <laughs> 
What's really important is to understand that Jesus isn't asking us to do something that in his flesh he didn't do first. Because he partook of flesh, became flesh, so that he could be tempted in all points like us, so that we could know he was capable of saving us. The book of Hebrews says that in several different places. I don't have the verses and I don't want to get off on that track. Check it out. It says that. So that, so that how did he, even though his flesh was born sinless because his father was God himself or God the father, how, how did he survive temptation? How do you do that? I'll tell you how he did that. By the grace of God. Grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. Grace and truth came by him. Grace and truth came by him. And that same grace is available to us today by his will to empower us, to help us. But that grace enables us to go through Whatever it is he has chosen for us to go through. For instance, just a small example here. Why am I not standing behind a podium today? Like I have in the previous 12 briefings. Why am I sitting down? Well, what you can't see is underneath this desk, there's a walking boot all the way up to my knee. Because two weeks ago, I tripped and fell and ruptured my Achilles tendon. And I have to wear this walking boot, according to the orthopedic surgeon, 24 hours a day for six weeks. Oh, wait. Call to war is next week. That means I'm going to be in a walking boot for call to war. And I can hear some say it now. Bummer. Bummer? Or what if it's possible that God in His infinite glory wants to do such great things next week that He had to put me in the most vulnerable position He could so that I would have I would not be able to function like normally, standing up on my own two feet like a man. I've got to sit in a chair and lead these prayer meetings, at least my part of them, and not be able to function normally have you ever tried sleeping in a walking boot as the doctor mandated that I do? Eh, you don't get good sleep. Am I complaining? No, I'm not. If whatever, if he, he is my father, I'm his child. If this happened, he allowed it for a purpose and I trust him with it. And if this was necessary for me to be brought down even another notch, and he's had a lot of things bring me down notches. But if that's, if that's necessary, thank God. Because if that means I'm able to go another notch higher in this time of warfare and still be saved and not take the credit for anything that I do or anything that happens for me or through me, thank God for it. That's Paul, why Paul said, I, therefore, I, he said, I'm going to glory in my infirmities 
that the power of God might rest upon me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, distresses, and persecutions. Or persecutions and distresses. Take pleasure in them. Who in their right mind would take pleasure in all that trouble? Someone that knows that this natural life is not very important and that the spiritual is everything. And any anything that God allows to happen to me in the natural that enables me to go places in the spiritual, I've never been able to go and still be saved because no flesh is going to glory in his presence. And he said, I'm the Lord. I'm not going to give my glory to another. And one of the worst sins anybody can commit is try to take the Lord's glory. So Paul understood, anything that happens to me, anything that happens to me, can be used by God. And will be used by God if I allow it to bring me to a place of less and less and less dependency upon myself. Some of you may or may not know, but my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in uh, late fall of 2013. And I spent almost 10 months taking care of her every day. Went to every doctor's appointment, every, every uh, 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 chemo appointment, sat in the waiting room for 17 hours during her surgery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's easy because I was giving. <laughs> uh, but now she's waiting on me, hand and foot. It's a lot more difficult and humbling to have to receive that than it is to give it. But it's all part of the process, you see. He made us lower than the angels. How? We're made out of dirt and water, primarily. Dirt and water. There's not hardly anything more common in this world than dirt and water. And he made us lower than the angels so that he could exalt, so that he could be exalted through us and there would never be any temptation to take the credit and glory like Lucifer was tempted to do. And any human <laughs> that is trying to take God's glory is a fool. They obviously are so deceived by their own pride they don't even understand how things really are. So, here we are. Let's read for a moment, if you would, the uh, New Testament quote of David's Psalms. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 8. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of men that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Listen to this last verse. But now we see not yet all things put under him. And oh, I know, I know, the, 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 the standard answer is, well, that's talking about in the hereafter. Really? Really? Then why would Paul, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost, pray for the church at Ephesus and us as a part of the church, 
that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of understanding being enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance and saint, where we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power, might dominion ever name of this name, not only in this world, but in the world which has come, and hath put all things, hath put all things under our feet, and gave us to be the head over all things, gave us to be head over all things to, or he became, he was given to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that is all in all. So here is, here's our head sitting on the throne of heaven and the body on earth is a bunch of poor victims that's just trying to survive and stay saved to the end. Really? You honestly believe that? I'm so sorry, friend. But that is so sad, it would make me weep if I could conjure up some tears for that kind of defeatism. That is not what I'm called to be. That's not what this word of God's called you or me to be. That's not what the church is called to be or do. If there's not, if all things are not yet under his feet, it's because we haven't taken the authority and power that's been given us as his body and allowed him to work through us and put all things under his feet. He said again, he said to the, to the disciples before they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Luke chapter 10 and not the 12, he said this to the 70. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, the adversary, the enemy, and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. They, they had gone, he'd sent them out, they came back. They, Lord, they, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. He didn't say, whoa, 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 that's not for now, that's in for the hereafter. He didn't say that. Mark said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. Well, what things do we want to put under feet? Well, here and now, we're not trying to, we have no interest in conquering <laughs> conquering governments. We're not interested in conquering uh, the natural world. We are interested. And it is his mission for us to take this dominion and, and utilize it through his grace and by his authority to set the captives free in this world so souls can be saved. To do that, We've got to defeat the adversary. You had to defeat the, the adversary. He doesn't get defeated by wishing, folks. He doesn't get defeated by having good church and preaching good sermons. He doesn't get defeated like that. It takes combat. Spiritual combat. In prayer. This uh, current election that's coming up here in just a few days is uh, quite disturbing, isn't it? In my 70 years of life, I've never seen anything remotely close to it. 
in all of the history of politics in my lifetime, I, I've never seen anything like this. And any American that's not truly distressed over this whole thing, they're in bad shape. They, they're, they must be smoking medical marijuana or something. Because you've got to be kind of out of your brain not to be disturbed over this. Oh, there's a few. Oh, they're all for one of these candidates. But the rest of us, we are so perplexed and so distraught naturally. It's very perplexing and very, very distressing naturally. But my God is in control. And he sets one up. He sets kings up and, and sets them down. All I want to know is that the church is prayed. And that whoever gets elected, whether they're, whether we approve of them or not, that they're in the will of God, even if it's the one you would most least likely want to see elected. I want to know it's in the perfect plan of God. And that whatever comes as a result of their leadership of this country, it's a part of the plan of God to get the world where it needs to go. But so many of us are going to sit back and fret. And we've watched presidential debates and we've read all the rhetoric and we've searched online. Or Some of us are so distraught, we just turned it all off. Well, you know what? I, I want peace in this. I want absolute peace to, that knows, hey, we prayed. And that what happens is in the perfect will of God. Praise God. So, one more time. Paul, quote, I believe it was Paul, wrote Hebrews. Paul, quoting David, said, uh, "Thou, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visited him? Verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And did it set him over the works of thy hands? You know, there's there's another verse that kind of says something like that. How about Isaiah 45, verse 11? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. I have made the earth, created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all of his ways. He shall build my city. He shall go to, he shall let go my captives. Not for price, nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. That's what we're called to do. God is mindful of man. He has visited his man. He has crowned man with glory and honor. Specifically his church. And given us authority. I know it says, concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. I taught all of that already in previous briefings. But one more time, just, just for briefly. Just shortly here. Uh, if I'm praying, as I'm commanded to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Am I the one that determined the will? No. I'm a simply a conduit for praying His will into the earth. Thy kingdom come. 
in manifestation of the earth. Am I the one that initiates the kingdom being manifested? No. It's his will for the kingdom to be manifested through us as conduits. That, that, sanctify thy name. How? By the name of Jesus being manifested through his people in power and glory and salvation and healing and deliverance. Who initiates all that? God. Who empowers all that? God. So when he says, concerning the work of my hands, he said, I have given them, verse uh, 7 of Hebrews 2, I have given him, uh, set, I've set him over the works of my hands, and he's been put, he's put all things in subjection under his feet. So he's given us authority and power to exercise his authority. And he goes back again to a verse I'll read a little while later again. Uh, Thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And a couple of translations put it this way, which is very close to the literal Greek. Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, we don't initiate any of this. We're conduits. Conduits don't initiate. They simply respond to what the Father has initiated. And allow that to flow and exercise through us. The problem is... We're not just conduit, impassive, inanimate conduits. We're living conduits with our own will. And so consequently, we have to let him, we have to choose to yield to him to be his conduit. That's the kicker in all this, you see. If we were inanimate conduits, no, no big deal, no problem. But he's chosen to only work through animate conduits. And those animate conduits have a will. And they've got to surrender that will to God for Him to work through us. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to do. Let me go a little different direction here for a time. It's a complimentary and we'll, you'll see how this ties together in a little bit. I was uh, reading uh, Matthew eleven twenty-five and through 30 uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, one of my favorite translations for study uh, is Weiss Expanded Translation of the New Testament. And I flipped there, and, and you know, uh, the King James says something along the line of this line in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. Uh, At this time, Jesus answering said, or something like that. But here's what Weiss, who tries to translate all the nuances of the word, even if it hinders re readability, he, he translated it this way. He translated this Greek word this way. At that epical, strategic moment of time, Jesus answering said, I render praise to you, Father, Lord of the heaven and the earth, in joyful acknowledgement and concurrence of the fact that you hid these things from the wise and understanding ones and reveal them to those who are untaught. Even so, Father, because thus it, is, it was your good pleasure. All things to me were delivered by my Father. And no one has a full experiential knowledge of the Son except the Father. Neither does anyone have a full and experiential knowledge of the Father except the Son. 
And he, whosoever he may be, to whom the Son desires to reveal him, the Father. And then he says this. Come here to me, all who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion. And who have been loaded with burdens and are bending under, bending neath their weight. And I alone will cause you to cease from your labor and take away your burdens and thus refresh you with rest. Take at once my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find cessation from labor and refreshment for your souls. For my yoke is mild and pleasant and my load is light and in weight. So Jesus said these things at a, an epical, strategic moment in time. In other words, not every moment of time is equal in importance. Every moment of time is equal in time value. A second is a second is a second is a second. Unless that second is that last opportunity to turn the wheel before you have a head-on collision. Unless you're trying to hit a baseball where you have less than a second from the time it leaves the pitcher's hand at 95 miles an hour to decide whether or not you're going to try to hit it. So all those seconds spent in the batter's box are not the same value as the second once that ball leaves the pitcher's hand. So therefore, while every moment is technically equal, that's not the case. There are some moments, there are some times, there are some seasons that are epical, strategic moments in time. That same word is used in Matthew chapter 16, verse beginning with verse 1. Again, I'm reading from Weiss's. Expanded translation of the New Testament. And having come, the Pharisees and Sadducees, putting him to the test, demanded that he furnish them for their observation and attesting miracle having its source in heaven. But he answering said to them, Evening having come, you are accustomed to say fair weather, for the sky is reddening. And in the morning, today, stormy, for the sky is reddening and is becoming covered with clouds. You possess indeed an understanding based upon experience to pass a discriminating judgment upon the face of the sky. But on the other hand, with reference to the attesting miracles of the epical strategic periods of time, are you not able to pass a discriminating judgment? You see, how many momentous moments, epical, strategic moments have passed us by because at that moment they appeared to be like any other moment and it was too inconvenient for us to alter our schedule to apply ourselves to the will and the plan of God in that moment of time. I did not seek God for a direction that resulted in 
I want you to call for a worldwide 24-hour prayer chain. Week of spiritual warfare. I didn't seek for that. I didn't ask for that. I certainly didn't ask to be the one primarily responsible for promoting it. I didn't ask for that. I really didn't ask for that. At my age, 48 years of the ministry, I've got enough scars, spiritual, emotional, and physical, from those who <laughs> didn't appreciate the messenger and they couldn't kill the one who sent the message. They could only do their best to harm the one that was the conduit for the message. I wasn't seeking that. You know, if I was 25, I might have been stupid enough to have been seeking that. But at 70, <laughs> no way in this world was I seeking that. But here I am. And as we have approached this time, with 49 states at this moment, and including the 50th being Washington, D.C., and with scores of nations participating, just counting the ones that have committed to be a part. There is something coming in the Spirit unlike anything I've experienced in my lifetime. We may see it and feel it while we're praying. We may see it and feel it, or at least the beginnings of it, shortly after we pray. It may be a few days, few weeks, or months before it really begins to be revealed. But it's coming. It's coming. This is a an epical, strategic moment in time. Here's one more place. There's several places, but here's one more place. Luke 19, verse 41. We, we translation again. And as he came near, having caught sight of the city, he burst into tears, weeping audibly over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things tending towards your peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For there shall come days of such a character upon you, when your enemies shall both throw up a rampart before you and encircle you and ex exert pressure on you from every side, which happened in 70 AD when Titus and five Roman legions came against Jerusalem. Because he's praying over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stone them sent unto you. Verse 44. They'll come and put this rampart around you. They'll circulate and put pressure on you. Verse 44. They shall raz your city to the ground, both you and your children in you, and shall not leave stone upon stone in you. Why? Because you did not recognize the strategic, epical season of God's gracious, overcaring, overseeing care and offer of help. And that, in the King James, it's simply translated, you didn't know, you didn't recognize the time of his visitation. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Oh yes, God's everywhere and he's here all the time. And But we have this erroneous phraseology we use 
in church. God is here tonight. Well, yeah. When you fill all space, where can you go? You can't be here one Sunday and not here the next Sunday. So what we mean, which we don't say, is God is manifesting his presence here tonight. That manifestation of God's presence, especially in a unique way during an epical strategic moment of time or period or season of time, as the word can be applied in some contexts, is a special manifestation of God, such as the day of Pentecost. That was an epical strategic moment of time. Jerusalem didn't recognize it. Jerusalem didn't recognize it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you. If you have not prayed and asked God if he wants you to be a part of this, I beg of you for your sake, for your church's sake, for your city's sake, your, your, your geographical area's sake, for this world's sake. I'm asking you to ask the Lord if you going to be a part of well I preacher I I can't pray every night from 7 to 10. Well, it's 7 to 10 somewhere in the world. Pray when you can. Pray as much as you can. Pray. Be a part of this. You don't have to watch the the streamed video of the prayer sessions here. That's between you and God. That's irrelevant to me. Pray. Why? If you will pray, you will be a part of the visitation of God. If you will pray. It's time to wake up. Brothers, sisters, church of the living God. Oh, the church isn't asleep. That's not what the Bible says. Matthew 25, verse 1, King James Version this time. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now that is a shocking verse right there. Oh, well, we knew the foolish were asleep. No, it wasn't just the foolish that were asleep. The wise we're asleep too. We've been lulled to sleep by our religious traditions. There is no good religious tradition. A religious tradition is a practice or a doctrine that is not based entirely on the scripture. And traditions makes the word of God a none effect according to Jesus and makes our worship vain according to Jesus. Can you tell me how something can be good or okay or acceptable that makes the word of God vain, uh, 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 ineffective in us and makes our worship vain? No good traditions. Only truth. Truth's the only thing that matters. And truth and traditions are not synonymous and can't be synonymous, and one is not effective. And the spirit of religious tradition loves to lull the ten wise to sleep. Well, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. 
When you read the context, which I won't read the rest, you're welcome to read that, there's no in indication that the cry was followed instantaneously by the coming. The cry was a warning in the Spirit, by the Spirit. There was time enough for them all to wake up. Even the foolish woke up at the cry. But the problem was, they weren't prepared. So they want the wise to give them some of their oil. No, no, we can't do that unless there's not enough for us. You, you need to go out and buy from the oil merchant. But while they went, the bridegroom came. And they weren't there. And they wouldn't have gone anyway because their vessel was empty. Asleep. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 13 verse 11. And that knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. <laughs> this world's never been like this. Ever been like this. Oh, I know there's been bad times in the history of the world. I know that. But there's never been a time where sin has been more abounding. Our world has wholly given over to the lust of their flesh and the lust of their minds, to the pride of life, the lust of their eyes. This world is wholly given over to that. Even, even in third world countries, it doesn't really have access much to the internet and all that. The world is given over to the lust of the flesh. The world is going sex crazy. God created it for between a man and a husband and wife, man and woman. God created it. He didn't create it, create it to be used in any other way. And outside of that, He didn't create it for any of that. But the world's going sex crazy. And it's pushing every envelope and every boundary you can. Because we're we're possessed by lust. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the mind, pride of life. Oh, I, there's some of you don't like this. <laughs> as strange as it sounds, I can feel that right this second. Some of you don't like this. You're in denial of that? Is there any place in the world today where the way we dress doesn't scream sex, sex, sex? Any place in the world? I've been privileged to travel on every continent except Australia, New Zealand, that area. I've never been there. But every place else in the world I've been. Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, the Caribbean, Europe. Is there any place on this globe where... Just the way we dress stream sex. The world is just obsessed with it. It's become our God. You, you're going to think that's okay? Huh. The church is the body of Christ. The head, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to work in the earth through his body. That's good in theory. But what if the body is injured and paralyzed? 
That doesn't work. Well, if we're <laughs> forgiving people of our of their grudges, we our grudges against them, and we're repenting of our sins, then we're not injured. We're not paralyzed. Those are the things that injure and paralyze the body. It blocks our ability to hear signals from the head. When we have grudges, we refuse to forgive, or sins we refuse to repent of. So what's our problem? The problem with is if we're asleep, in reality, there's no real difference between being asleep and paralyzed. The body is just as unresponsive in sleep. So sleep is equal spiritual paralysis. That's why it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. There are three words connected in the Lord's warning and the, and the Lord through the apostles' warning to us. Be sober, watch, and pray. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. I'm going to read quickly. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction shall come upon uh, this, uh, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as a travail upon a woman with a child, they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the day, children of the day. We are not of the light, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch. There's one of those words, and be sober. There's another one of those words. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are the, who are of the day, be sober, putting off, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to, to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live unto Him. And then one verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Here's all three words. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Sober means to be dulled or addled through, uh, the opposite of sober is to be dulled or addled because you're under the influence of Spirits. Oh, I'm not an influence spirit. <laughs> when that, when a person is drunk on hard liquor, and they get stopped, they're called. They're they're they are arrested for DUI, driving under the influence of spirits. Hard liquor is called spirits. You don't believe that? Go to a store. And a lot of stores that sell hard liquor, wine, beer, and spirits. They sell spirits. You drink stuff, and it allows you to be easily influenced by spirits. And so, the Lord, through the apostles and Jesus, used that analogy, that metaphor, to talk about his people not being under the influence of the spirits of this world so that their reactions are slow, so their senses are not finely tuned, 
So he says, sober up. Be sober. And watch. That's stand guard. Be on guard. Watch. Watch. If you're in the military and you're on duty, you're on watch, it's called. And the enemy comes and you don't give the warning. If you survive the battle, you will be executed. There is no greater crime that a military person can commit than, than falling asleep on duty and failing to give the warning when the enemy is approaching. So the Lord, and the Lord through the apostles said, be sober, renounce all influence of spirits of this world. Watch, stand guard, be keen. Don't let your mind be filled with junk. Don't let your spirit and emotions be all caught up in stuff. Be keen, be watchful, and pray. Pray. Why? Because as we pray, we can exercise power and authority. We can also receive communication from God that will help us to be ready and to do what we're supposed to do. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be delivering the captives. Psalm 79, 11 let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. I was praying the other day, and I, I, I just got I just I got to thinking and it was so overwhelming. It's so it's so overwhelming. I know why we don't want to think about hell. I know we don't why we don't want to hear preaching about hell. Because hell is so horrible, it is totally incomprehensible. The Bible said, Jesus said, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, hell is so horrible that it is capable of being eternal punishment for spirit beings. If hell is punishment for spirit beings, how horrible is it for those that are made of dust and dirt and, and water? Humans. I know this sounds strange, but it's fa it's fact. If hell was prepared to be torment, eternal torment for spirit beings, how in the world can human beings survive in hell without being instantly annihilated? Because there will be a supernatural work of God to preserve your flesh where you burn without burning. Where you fall without hitting bottom. Where your mind races constantly. I, I, I was thinking to myself, how many times has somebody burned to death and people said they could hear their screams? Well, what happens when, because outer darkness is so great, the lake of fire is so large, that you'll never see another human the rest of your life. And the only sound you'll hear will be your own screams from your burning flesh that never is consumed. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Better go to hell, heaven with one hand than to hell with two hands where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. The worm is the conscience that eats at us. If your foot offends you, 
cut it off. Better to go to heaven with one foot than to hell with two feet. Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And he said, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. Better to go to heaven with one eye than to hell with two eyes where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And I, I thought to myself, God, how does a person not lose their minds under such horrible torment and the constant screaming coming out of their own mouth as the only sound they hear? And they're cut off from feeling the presence of God forever, which is called the second death. How? Well, it's horrible enough to think about that. But when the Lord said, the Lord is not slack, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his slackness. Uh, as some men, the Lord is not slack uh, as some encounter slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has waited and waited and waited and waited, giving opportunity for salvation. But I think it's Ecclesiastes that says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. So this time God has given is actually caused man's heart to turn farther away from God. And now they mock God and they use his name as a curse word and they deny his existence. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Because they didn't recognize that the long suffering of God was salvation. So what's our role in this? Paul said, If the gospel, our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. You can't be saved if you don't hear and believe the gospel. All of it. The whole gospel. But the devil is blinding minds. The devil is blinding minds so that they won't and can't believe. They're captives. They can't even decide whether or not they want to be free themselves. So what are we called to do? Isaiah 61 and 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is prophecy. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Jesus read this verse in Luke 4.18 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Or the word preach there means to proclaim deliverance to the captives. In other words, be free. It's a pr pronouncement. It's a it's a pronouncement of authority, of deliverance, and recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus, just a few verses after this, said, this scripture is fulfilled in this day. This scripture is fulfilled today. So this was the Lord's ministry on the earth. But he said in John fourteen twelve. 
He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than he shall he do, because I go to my Father. That means this is called, is our calling. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon us. Because he's anointed us to preach the gospel of the poor. He has anointed us to, to heal the brokenhearted. He has anointed us to, to proclaim deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. He has anointed us to set at liberty them that are bruised. But is that what we're doing? Are we doing that? The Bible says you can't spoil the strong man's house. Till you first bind the strong man. Jesus said that all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of those gospels. He said those exact words. And you can't, can't stand outside the strong man's house and spoil his goods. You got to bind the strong man, defeat his gates, his doors, and set the captives free. Listen to Isaiah 49, 25. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. This is our promise. It's a guarantee. But God's not going to do it without us. Colossians 1.12 Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us under the king, into the kingdom of his dear son. See what's got to happen here? It's not enough to try to get into the kingdom of God. I gotta be delivered from the power of darkness to be enabled to go into the kingdom of his dear son. Many years ago now, We were experiencing revival of unprecedented proportions. This is a matter of historical fact. There are records to prove it's true. There are people that were a part of it and know it's true. But beginning in the beginning of 1980, this church was running consistently about 125 men, women, and children on Sunday night. In 1980, we prayed through 551 people. In 1981, by October of that year, we'd already prayed through another almost 500. We were about to start revival on the Sunday after General Conference, which would have been the 11th of October, 1981. The most prominent evangelist of that day, the one that was having the most results, was going to be our evangelist. He and I talked. We both believed we were going to have a 1,000 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in that revival. We started actually on a Sunday because... General Conference went through Tuesday night that at, back in that time. And so by the time you got home, we got started. We, we couldn't start till Sunday. And uh, I was up very early praying on Sunday morning before the first service. 
You know how when you close your eyes, I'm sitting here right now, there are lights in my face. My eyes are closed, but it's not dark. If I wave my hand in front of my eyes, because of the light that's outside of my eyes, I can see some movement. I'm sitting there praying. There's a tremendous flow of the presence of God. There's tremendous anointing. At that time, I didn't really understand that it was called warfare intercession. But it was very authoritative prayer in other tongues that I was praying in. And I didn't realize it while I was praying, but it was like what was on the other side of my eyelids was absolute blackness. Well, it was already, it was early in the morning and there was ambient light outside. So it, it, there was no way that it should have been like that. I didn't realize how black it was until in that prayer, all of a sudden the blackness moved back and I saw that it was a, a wall of animate beings that was forming this wall of blackness. And now there's some gap between me and this wall of blackness in this vision I'm living. I'm conscious, I'm aware, I'm praying, but I'm seeing this vision. I'm not conjuring it. I'm not asking for it. I'm just a bystander because I'm not even doing the praying. The Spirit's praying through me. And it moved back enough that I couldn't make out the shapes, but I could see that they were a jumble of uh, of, of dark forms that was for, forming this wall of darkness. And as I, when that happened, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, the uh, the prayer kicked into another gear, and they stepped back again, and it and it kept on going. And that prayer, so authoritative and powerful, it just kept on going. And I, I'm just conduit. I'm not manufacturing this. This ain't, these aren't my emotions I'm praying with. This isn't, these aren't my words I'm praying with. I'm just trying to let the Lord pray through me. And so it kept moving back. Kept moving back. And I didn't know what was... I'm, again, I'm just watching this while my spirit prays, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14... 14, and uh, all of a sudden, I was shocked. That entire wall of darkness disappeared behind the most gigantic ancient walls set around the largest set of ancient gates I'd ever seen any kind of picture of or drawing of or whatever. Those gates were massive. They were massive enough, a hundred people could have been standing shoulder to shoulder and walked through those gates. They were massive gates. And when that happened, all of a sudden the scene shifted because I was on some kind of platform or something and I looked down in front of me and there was this huge tree that had been cut down. It had to have been four or five feet in diameter. It was over a hundred feet long. And the end of it had been chopped down to a point. The other end away from me. And out of the sides of this huge battering ram were uh, large dowels. Four feet, six feet, whatever they were. But they were long enough and there were many, 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 many rows. There was two rows of them, but many, many, many of them down both sides of this tree. 
and they were long enough that three men could stand abreast and hold these things. And that's exactly what was going on. The, every dowel had three men on each side of that tree. There was a couple... I don't even know how many. There were several hundred men. There was enough men that picking up that four or five foot diameter tree wasn't even an issue for them. And and I'm praying and 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 I I just kind of was aware that I was coming down with my hand occasionally, and and in, when I did in my mind I'm saying in Jesus' name in my natural mind I'm saying in Jesus' name, and and you know the. the I was watching as the as the uh, uh, battering ram would slam into these ancient gates, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was when I was saying in Jesus' name and coming down with my hand that they'd slam into the gates, and I thought, "Me? Surely not." So I tested it. I didn't move my hand for a while. They stood there idle. Bring my hand down, they slam in the gates. And I thought, okay, <laughs> whatever. I considered that my place was very symbolic in that vision, whatever. So we kept doing it. I honestly can't tell you how many times we slammed in those gates. Well over a hundred. And there was there was nothing happening. It didn't appear as though anything was happening. And the most amazing thing to me, even though every one of these men were facing away from me, I didn't see one face, you could feel the absolute unity and certainty that what we were doing was going to work. And I remembered the verse, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And every man in that, manning that ramrod, believed that. They believed it. Hey, they believed it. And so we're doing this. I don't know how many times it was. I wasn't counting. I, I didn't even re realize I needed to count. If I, if I needed to, and I didn't. But it was a lot of times. And finally, there was no indication that this time was going to be different than the last one. But we slammed into it, and you heard this loud crack. Nothing outwardly happened to the gates. You just heard this loud crack. Well, of course, ancient gates were built with frames around them, so not so they would fold outward, but so they would fold inward. And the frame around the edge of the opening of the gate was what retained it on the sides, and then they would put a, depending on the size of the gate, a very heavy beam across the back, held in place by brackets, that that kept the break, the gates from opening inward as they were designed to do. So this was the security of the gate. So I'm assuming that that loud crack was that beam, that huge beam that would have had to have been across that gate, finally cracked after all those times of us hitting it. And then we hit it several more times and there was more cracking and more cracking and more cracking. And finally, there was this final crack and the gates moved inward a little bit. Again, I, I'm not 
anticipating anything. I'm not trying to figure out what's coming next. I'm watching this, this, uh, this vision as if I was watching a video. I'm just watching it. I'm still praying in the Spirit. There's still a huge, heavy anointing of authority there. Warfare intercessions being prayed. Even though at that time I didn't really understand that's what it was called. And uh, all of a sudden, these gates that were designed only to go inward, burst outward, smashing the retaining parts around the edges of that gate. I I can't describe to you accurately what I saw inside those gates. I have never been able to escape from that. And just this past uh, week or so was the 35th anniversary of that vision. October the 11th, 2016. Is 35 years after I first saw that vision. This vision is as real to me today as if I was watching it right now. When those gates exploded outward, I didn't realize what kind of a platform I was on because I could see quite a distance inside that large opening where the gates used to be. There were no buildings inside the gate. There were no trees. It was just the largest mass of people I'd ever seen in my life. As far as my eye could see to the edge of the horizon through those gates, there was nothing but people. And they were all facing toward me, toward where the gates had been. The thing about it that's so <laughs> disturbing is that every one of those people had a look on their face of utter hopelessness, helplessness, despair, despondency, dread. They're all they're pressed up, chest to back, crammed. I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know how they can breathe. They're so tightly packed together. They were so tightly packed together that when that gate broke, the pressure from the crowd burst the gate open against the way it was designed. But every single face had that same expression. And when those gates burst open, there was a moment, which is less than a second, there was a moment when nothing happened. Just the barest moment. When, when where the line of where the gates had been, that's where the crowd stopped. But all of a sudden, apparently from the pressure of the desperation of all that crowd, the people at the line were forced out. It was almost like they didn't even really make a decision. They weren't even given the opportunity to make a decision. The pressure that burst those gates open forced that crowd out. Again, scores of people. The gate was wide enough for a 100 people abreast, probably at least. It was huge. I, I don't know. I didn't count it. It was just massive. And this is the thing that was so amazing to me. 
when every single individual was thrust, pushed by the crowd across the line where the gates had been, instantly everything changed. In an instant, their faces went from total despair, hopelessness, helplessness to the most joyous look of elation, an expression of elation I've ever seen in my life. And every single one of them instantly started jumping up and down and screaming, and they all were screaming the same words. We're free. We're free. We're free. Every single person that moved across that line, just the fraction of an inch on one side of the line, on the other side of the line, despair, despondency. The instant they moved across the line where the gates had been, total liberty, total victory, total elation. I remember thinking to myself, I, I'm, go I'm just going to watch and see how long this lasts. I don't know how long I prayed. I continued to pray in tongues. The authority wasn't as intense. Uh, the whole tenor of the tongue changed into one more of, a, of rejoicing and elation to join with them and uh, in their celebration. And... Uh, I watched for a long time, long time. I don't know how long the vision would have gone on, but somewhere way in the back of my mind, this thought came. It's got to be pretty close to church time. If you don't hurry, you're going you're to be late for church. Well, I didn't just turn that off and jump up. I couldn't. I physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually couldn't. But that thought began to slowly withdraw me from the scene. And when the vision was completely gone, even though I'm still praying, I heard the voice of the Lord say, this vision is not for the revival you're starting today. This vision is for what I've promised in the end time before I return to earth. We started the revival that day. We went nine weeks. Over 600 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in those nine weeks. And that wasn't even remotely close to what was in that vision. I believe that what we will be doing the next week is we will be praying the battering ram prayer. I believe that. And the manifestation, whatever happens while we're praying, if it does, whatever happens immediately when we finish praying, if it does, whatever happens within the few days or weeks or first couple of months after we're praying, whatever happens, it will not matter to me 
what I see happen. I know that those gates are going to be defeated because around this world, we're going to man that battering ram and we're going to consistently and persistently beat on those gates until the promise of God is fulfilled. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's what's going to happen. I, I can see those faces of those people inside that gate. I live with that look in their eye every day. Consciously or subconsciously. It is always there. It's easy to draw up. That's why Psalms 79.11 has become one of my, one of the verses that challenges me every day. Let the sighing of the prisoners come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. I don't know what the look of a man who's sitting in a jail cell on death row looks like. But there's not one person who could look more distraught and hopeless than every face inside that vision. And we've been called to do something about that. We've been given the opportunity to do something about that. Isaiah 28, 5 and 6, just I'm almost done here, says, In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment and for strength to them that turned the battle to the gate. We've spent so much time praying prayers of survival. We've spent so much time as church, as the church, praying prayers of the victims. Oh, God, help us. Aren't we pitiful? Look what all we're going through. Look how hard we've got it. It's time to, to receive strength from the Father and turn the battle to the gate. It's time to do that. Because this is our promise. Genesis 22 verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hath not withheld thy son thine only son. That in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. God bless every one of you that are participating in any degree. Whether you've coming to. Annapolis to pray or you're praying where you live or whether you're watching the, 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 the prayer sessions or not or praying just when you can. God bless every one of you because we're going to obey the voice of the Lord. I don't know how many times every hour around the world someone will be slamming that batigram against the gates of hell. But somewhere Somewhere in the spirit this week, we're going to hear some crashing. And I believe in the spirit, there's going to be some gates of hell opened 
around this world. And I believe we're going to begin to see people saved like we've never seen them saved before. I believe that everything in me. The Lord promised Abraham, and we are Abraham's seed by faith, according to Galatians 3 and Romans 4, among other places. God swore with an oath to Abraham and his seed that they would possess the gates, the gate of their enemies. He's promised that. And then finally, the verse that we know so well. Thou art Peter, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. Thou art Peter upon this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the promise of God. When is the church going to be the church? When is the church going to step up and fulfill God's promise? Listen to this. Again, I'm, I really am honestly almost done. Thank you for your patience. Psalms 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hunger soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against his word, the words of God, and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. There was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. And then finally, <laughs> I'll read a little more here. Oh, Jesus, help us. Psalms 91.1 He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the, from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under the wing, His wing shalt thou trust. His truth shall be, shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid by the terror by, of the terror, for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made has made the Lord, which is my refuge, even my most high, thy habitation. Thou shalt, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his, give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their, their, their hands, lest thou, thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Behold, 
I give you my power, my authority, and you shall tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Skirmishes are when two opposing forces accidentally encounter one another. People fight, they, people fight, people die, but it's only a skirmish. It's not a battle. Battles, in the Old Testament terminology is armies are set in array. Battles are set in array. Battles are strategized. Planned, organized. D-Day was a battle. There was a an hour on D-Day that the invasion was going to take place. That's a battle. The Lord's army has been set in array. Starting Monday night in your time zone, the battle will begin. Join with us. Join with us. And the final prayer and the final reminder is this is not for us. It's not for our glory. It's not for our honor. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. I'll see you in the battle. God bless you.